0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is Missouri U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler next This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Like other rural communities across the nation, Missouri's 4th District has felt the economic strain of the COVID-19 pandemic. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler says her home was hit by devastating floods a year ago and now is struggling to find a new normal with the COVID crisis.
1: Well, in multiple ways. Certainly, whether you talk about schools being shut down and the kids staying from home and not having access to their homework because we don't have rural broadband in my district, to the challenges my rural hospitals had with having a lot of their PPE gone and no elective surgeries and more expenses, and then having some COVID patients on top of that, but businesses being shut down, having challenges, people, you know, at home, out of work, hurting. And then, of course, agriculture, I dealt with the first three weeks trying to get our meatpacking plants back open as we didn't have a place or a market for our beef and our pork. And so our farmers have certainly been hurt as well as the commodity prices there. So it, it's just multi-dimensional challenges that we have faced and i'm glad that we're moving to the other side of this pandemic and hopefully soon our vaccine will be developed and maybe even by the end of the year and we can get to back to life uh, more close to being normal very soon
0: from your district's perspective how important is another round of covid relief
1: as we speak i've been the last several weeks out in the district visiting with various entities I think there still will be some more need for some PPP loans or second rounds for certain types of businesses that have not recovered yet or still struggling, such as the hotel industry, event industry. Some businesses or restaurants perhaps are just having trouble getting that business back and uh, would like additional funding for that. There's a need for some liability provisions to protect the businesses as they do open so they feel like they can do it with confidence as they try to adhere to the CDC guidelines as best that they can. I have a bill to provide liability protections for churches that are reopening and they're scared they might be sued. Nonprofits that have been working on the front lines helping people on the food banks have a second bill to help provide liability protections for our meat packing plants that opened under the president's direction, but still very, very challenged, but trying to reopen to get food on the consumer shelves and have a market for our uh, pork producers and our cattlemen. So there's some needs with that, but there is of the $3 trillion that has already been uh, approved through Congress that has not been distributed yet, and so I, I am uh, reticent to very quickly um, approve another package till we see this money go out to see really where the needs are. And I think if we have another package, it should be very targeted, just to those areas that are still hurting, uh, rather than doing a shotgun approach. I think more uh, rifle approach, uh, targeted approach makes more sense. And perhaps we could even redirect some money if it is not being used now or not needed into future programs rather than go further in debt as a
0: nation. The Department of Agriculture does have funds still available from the CARES Act and would be able to administer a CFAP, too.
1: I had Undersecretary Greg Ogbach and Richard Fordyce, who is the FSA administrator in my district, two weeks ago, and and we discussed this briefly, and they said they were looking at another, another package. What may still be in need of legislation, though, is, the idea of providing some indemnity funds for pork producers who had to euthanize their hogs or to make up for some of those, uh, if they were donated animals to a food bank or something. I don't believe there was provisions perhaps in that. But I know that agriculture and those indemnity funds are part of the discussion. They were part of the HEROES Act, which passed the House. So I know there's support for doing that. And I think there's support for us of CPAP too, there's some inequities, I felt like, in the first distribution, and especially cattle, where you received $130 per head if you sold a steer on April 15th, and then April 16th, if you sold it then, you got $33 a head. And there was a lot of angst in cattle country, I can tell you, over that. So I was encouraging under Secretary Eibach to consider a second round of payments, certainly to cattle, because I feel like there's still need there.
0: There are certainly areas that have not received funds yet, and you mentioned in the case of swide farmers who were caught euthanizing animals who not only didn't get a check but then had to pay for the disposal of the animals. The renewable fuel industry as yet has not received any assistance, and that's one that not only affects uh, rural communities but also uh, a demand for corn. It's also mentioned that poultry and livestock farmers who work with integrators who don't necessarily own the animals but have seen the number of animals or flocks that they have raised cut back significantly, they haven't seen any assistance as well.
1: Well, you're right, and I have heard that they are looking at that, expanding some more into poultry, and I would certainly support that because you're right, that has happened, and I I do think they also should look at biofuels and the ethanol plants they have been really damaged by this not just in the united states but worldwide as pandemic caused people to stay home less driving there's been less demand and one thing i've been advocating for is that here in the united states that we hold true to our renewable fuel standard that has been established these small refinery waivers have really been damaging to ethanol and we need to make sure that that waiver process is not misused and that we make sure and adhere to our renewable fuel standard to ensure the right amount of ethanol is produced and used for our own domestic supply and at the same time make sure that other countries aren't misusing trade. We have Brazil that imports a lot of their ethanol into our country and yet they are trying to put tariffs on uh, our ethanol going to their country and so I sent a letter to our US trade representative asking them as they work with Brazil that they try to do everything possible to make sure that Brazil removes those barriers and doesn't put the tariffs on our ethanol and that we can have free and open trade.
0: There are some legislators that are suggesting that, obviously, in the crisis that we've been through with COVID, through the market disruptions that we had seen, that the current farm bill is just not adequate to provide a safety net and risk protection for farmers and are suggesting that we should begin a rewrite process before the 18 bill does expire.
1: I do not support that. We do a farm bill every five years. It is very difficult to do. I've been in Congress now long enough to have gone through the process twice. It's a challenge, and I feel like the 18 farm bills is adequate. Certainly, prices are low, but I think the solution more for that, rather than opening up entire farm bill, is to focus on trade. I think trade is going to be really what we need to do to be able to increase our prices. That's the greatest opportunity we have to fix the low prices is to increase the amount of trade.
0: It does look like trade is going to be a part of the debate and the race for the White House. How do you evaluate what the administration has done? It seemed as though we'd be darned if we do, if we don't take on China, but then also suffer the consequences if we do. What should be the path forward?
1: Well, I think it's been a pro-American path, and it's been a very aggressive path for the American consumer and the American farmer. And I know the farmers in my district have appreciated this administration standing up to China and some other countries who had unfair trade deals. And uh, frankly, nobody had stood up to them for a long time. In fact, the phase one trade deal with China is panning out to be very positive for agriculture, over 16% increase in the amount of trade that we have with China since last year. In fact, from the beginning of this year till May, the United States has already sold $1.1 billion of pork to China, which is the total amount that we did in 2019. So it's a, a very complex relationship that we have with China, but they have such a large population. There is a real need there. They've been buying lots of our corn. They're trying to reestablish their pork industry after the African swine fever decimated uh, so much of their herd. And uh, the corn over there is about $7 a bushel. And so they're happy to buy our corn, and we're happy to sell it. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but at the same time need to keep an eye on them and keep pressure on them to be a fair actor on the world stage. I'm on the uh, Armed Services Committee as well, and I can tell you, We're very, very concerned about China's military aggression around the world and their capabilities, and so we're taking steps in the United States uh, military to protect and, and defend and be able to compete and even exceed their capabilities. But that doesn't mean we can't pursue trade deals with agriculture at the same time.
0: Disasters have become a lot more commonplace, it seems, in the country today. Wildfires in California, we've had hurricanes in the southeast, we had Two hurricanes, pre tell, at the same time at the Gulf of Mexico recently, and then not to mention the derecho event that worked its way across the Midwest. But I'd like to rewind to the flooding that your state and others suffered last year. Have you recovered from that? Is there still a need from Washington to help farmers and communities along the rivers to recover?
1: Well, there is a need. It was a devastating flood event. In fact, I was with the commander of the Corps of Engineers out of the Kansas City District Office last week. We were out on the Missouri River assessing some of the damage and talking about some of the issues. And he said that it was the largest flooding event in Missouri's history and that it was at flood stage for over 279 days. So very damaging for communities and certainly agriculture. But they have been really making progress on... Getting these levees repaired, they have 39 contracts awarded and 64 levees that they feel like will need to be repaired. So they're over halfway there just within a few months, and many farmers in my district now have their levees repaired, although there's much more to do. And I was glad that in Congress just a few weeks ago we were able to pass the Water Resources Development Act, which is the bill that we pass every two years to authorize the, the water projects in our our, uh, our river system, and, you know, this is something that isn't always done in Washington, but we did get this done in a bipartisan fashion, and there's several provisions in there that I think will expedite uh, projects uh, and target uh, help to areas that have repeat flooding, which will impact a lot of our communities in Missouri. There's a bipartisan governor's task force made up of the four governors of Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa that have been working and have some recommendations. And I'm working with them to actually develop legislation to put some of their ideas into law. But that is moving forward.
0: Infrastructure was something that was mentioned a lot at the beginning of the Trump administration. It's been talked about. It is mentioned as a possible area for bipartisan compromise between the two parties. So the question would be, what infrastructure do you see now as necessary for your district?
1: Oh, we need help with our roads and bridges, just your basic infrastructure, and certainly rural broadband if you put that in that category, which I don't know if necessarily is appropriate in a highway bill. But what happened about a month ago in the House is instead of working in a traditional bipartisan fashion to craft a bill for roads and bridges that we all can come together on and uh, support, Speaker Pelosi loaded up with provisions that were not bipartisan, that didn't have much to do even with roads and bridges, didn't consult with Republicans hardly at all, and brought that to the floor and pushed it through. And so the House technically has passed an infrastructure bill, but it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. And so the Senate is, I think, looking at uh, developing their own that is more focused on roads and bridges. If we approve what nancy pelosi uh, pushed through most of our money would go to new york and california to states that are democrat that don't have the needs that we have in rural missouri and it would take money away from rural america and send it to the city so i couldn't support that version but i'm hopeful that the senate will come up with something that uh, will help my roads and bridges here in the fourth district and we'll bring that uh pass it and so maybe we can at a later point this year, come together on a bill that genuinely is, is very much needed.
0: Let's turn thoughts to nutrition for a moment. As a part of another round of COVID assistance, uh, it would be Senator Stabenow and others that have called for as much as a 15% increase in funding for the SNAP program. Uh, we've also seen the Farm to Families Food Box program that has been uh, implemented and now additional funds that have come from the White House. How has that food box program worked in your area? Are there suggestions you would make toward it or toward nutrition assistance?
1: Sure. Well, the Farmers to Family Food Box program has been very successful. Over 70 million boxes have been prepared and delivered. And it was really a win-win program. I remember an ag hearing at the beginning of this COVID crisis where some of my colleagues were sharing the heart-wrenching stories of their vegetable and fruit producers who were having to plow up their fields of green beans and tomatoes and things because the restaurants were shut down. There was, and the schools were shut down. There was just no place for them to go with their produce. And that was their, their total income. And of course, we had dairy farmers dumping their milk. And so what this program does is it allows those producers to have a market for their food. The government helps purchase them. They get a contractor to box it up with some meat and some cheese and some other farm products, and then it's taken and distributed uh, through our food pantry system and in various communities and sometimes not through food pantry, just organizations that volunteer churches and others to distribute this food to people who are hungry, and it's been very well received. But going forward, after visiting with some of my groups who've been distributing and others, I think it it is important that there's an income verification process. Initially, we just got the food out to anybody who wanted some basically could come and pick them up, which is great. A lot of people got food, but we want to be smart with how we spend our dollars. And so I think that would be something that would be helpful in this. As far as the SNAP program and, and extending those benefits goes Currently, under the coronavirus pandemic and executive orders that we passed, there is a maximum monthly allotment that has been granted. So individuals who do qualify for SNAP have re- been receiving a maximum amount, whether their income really reflects that need or not. So people are receiving quite a bit there. They can access the food box program if they have children. There's been two programs that have been stood up to provide food for children. One is the local schools have been authorized to continue producing food and distributing it to their students, and that has continued on. And I applaud all those school districts who've found creative ways to get, them, uh, get that food to the students throughout the spring and summer during the pandemic, and now they're going to also have authority to do it throughout the fall. But there is a new program called the Pandemic EBT Program, which allowed money to go on an EBT card if they have children who are out of school at least five days. So that theoretically the parents would have that money that would have gone to school lunch programs and they could go down to the local grocery store and buy their food there. Even Walmart and Amazon allow you to use that online and purchase the food and the supplies online. So um, overall, there's four or five programs already in place to help feed people who are struggling. And so I don't really see a need at this point to uh, further expand that.
0: Congresswoman, we are narrowing down the days until the decision November 3rd for the White House. Do you share a concern about how this election will be conducted and whether people go to the polls or they're able to mail in a ballot?
1: No, I don't. I think you can very safely vote in, in multiple ways. Certainly, in person is the safest, it's the best, and I believe people can do that safely. They can wear a face mask. I mean, there's, there's ways that you can go in person and vote. But if you have a health condition that doesn't allow that and you're concerned, there is the absentee ballot process, which has been around for years, where you can request one being sent to your house and it'll, uh, and then you can vote and then uh, send that back in or drop it by before the election to make sure your vote counts. Now we have several states that have mail-in ballot systems that that's been it's kind of controversial, it's concerning, but most of those states have done it for years. They just they know who their registered voters are and they send it in send it only to those voters. What is being proposed by Nancy Pelosi that I do not support and is not going to pass uh, but a lot of people are fearful of, is her idea of just sending them uh, nationwide to to everybody. And that, to me, just is uh, ripe for potential fraud uh, because the Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, told me the other day that up to 10% of registered voters, even, are invalid because they've died, they've moved. You know, those addresses aren't valid. So just sending them randomly and or sending them just to anybody in the phone book you know, enable somebody to pick them up and to turn them in. But that is not the policy that is what's being discussed, but it is not the federal law of the land. It will only be in a few of these states that will have the mail-in ballot system. Everybody else will go by their current system they have now. Like I said, in Missouri, we have absentee ballot. We have provisions. So, I am concerned that in some of these states that there could be delays in counting the votes, which could delay the announcement of who wins or not, California being the main person, main state that I am concerned about. But for most of America, I feel like the election will be secure and and be no problem. But California is something always to watch.
0: Congresswoman Hartzler, we want to thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to visit with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on. It's been great to talk about agriculture, and I'm just so, uh, proud of our farmers and ranchers who, under very difficult situations, uh, continue to persevere. Uh, their tenacity, their, um, their, their character, their positive attitude amidst some difficult situations is, is certainly, uh, commendable, and even though it's been kind of tough, I feel confident that we will, get through this together, and we will come off on the other side even stronger. Um, You know, we are always optimists as farmers, and we always say, well, there's always next year, and um, I feel confident next year will be even more positive, but uh, rest assured, I'm going to continue to fight for farming and agriculture in Washington, and I feel honored to do it, and I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. And. Look forward to visiting again
0: in the future. Our thanks to Missouri 4th District Representative Vicki Hartzler, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.